This is the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast, here to educate, inform and support general practice staff in Nottinghamshire. Get to know about those who represent you, as well as all the latest information from Notts LMC at your leisure. Tune in and subscribe to our podcast today, hosted by me, Zenaida Morrison at podbean.com. Hi and welcome back to the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast. Today is an interesting topic and it's all about pensions in general practice. Why are we speaking about it and why are we dedicating an episode to it? Well, because for a long time it's been an area of concern for GPs with lots of ambiguity and grey areas that we're going to attempt to make sense of in this episode. Joining me today to help unpack pensions is Nick Stevenson, partner at More and Smalley, a leading independent provider of accounting, business advisory and wealth management services. Nick, who has over 20 years experience dealing with the medical sector, heads the East Midlands branch and looks after a wide variety of clients, chartered accountants and medical specialists. He has a strong background in medical service clients, looking after over 100 individual GPs and 25 practices, including GP locums. He has responsibility for liaising with NHS employers, local LMCs and the Health and Social Care Information Centre. Nick is also involved in the Primary Care Development Centre for Nottingham and Derbyshire, where he provides support and training to local primary care providers. Nick, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us today. Hi, Zenaida. Hi. Thanks for inviting um, me across. Yeah, it's lovely to have you. Um, I hope all is going well today. Yeah, absolutely. Very busy time of year with the um, tax deadline approaching, um, but it's quite nice yeah. to to have a break from from doing all that preparation work. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, we had a few technical uh, issues earlier, didn't we? But um, I'm glad I have you here now. So as as mentioned in that introduction, there have been, you know, several concerns surrounding pensions in general practice. Um, and it's particularly around retirement for GPs. Uh, this is when they tend to experience and encounter some issues. So, you know, coming to the, towards the end of their tenure, um, you know, they can't seem to access their pension due to, you know, vital information being missed or maybe failure for them to follow specific protocol when it comes to their pension statements and more. So um, there, there's a whole heap, I guess, to unpack, but I always like to start from the beginning. I think it's best to start from there. Um, so for people less familiar with, uh, you know, NHS pensions uh, in GP land, what is NHS pensions? What does it offer to GPs? Yeah, so um, a bit of a, a poison chalice to come and talk about this subject with you, I think, because it is probably the most complicated pension scheme in the world. Um, it does cause all sorts of confusion and problems for everybody at sort of every stage, really. Um, uh, initially, the the NHS pension is is one of the best probable investments that you can make if you are intending to put money into a pension scheme, um, and one of the, the the best benefits of being in the NHS really, um, the pension at the end of the day makes up for some of the reduced pay potentially that you get throughout the rest of your career. Um, right. So uh, there are a number of of, of schemes. Um, mm -hmm. As you've said, 
um, so the, the, there was a legacy scheme, which was the 1995 scheme, which everybody joined initially. Um, okay. In 2008, there was the option to join a new scheme at that point, and, and there was a choice exercise. Most people stayed in their original 1995 scheme at that point. Um, but then in 2015, um, they introduced a, a brand new scheme for people, uh, which has complicated the, 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 the position a little bit further. Yeah. Um, the, the 1995 scheme had a set retirement date of age 60, whereas that new scheme um, sets the retirement date at state retirement age. So it's a much further down the line before you're able to draw that pension. Mm -hmm. The so, way that it works is that you pay in contributions um, to the scheme based on your level of pensionable pay. Um, the employer the NHS or your practice will pay an employer's contribution of 14.38 percent but then you pay your own employee contribution on top of that. Okay right so that's um so that's interesting in that so that the, the original was more of a contribution sort of base scheme so well, there are both, different Mm -hmm. Sorry, sorry, Zanetta. Yeah, they're both they're both contribution schemes. So you both you, in, in all the schemes, you're paying contributions in. Um, those contributions don't actually result in an actual pot, a pension pot for you. Right. Um, your actual pension is based upon the different scheme rules. Okay. So it depends what part of the scheme you're in. Um, if you're in the officer scheme, which is a salaried position, mm -hmm. then under the 1995 scheme, your pension is based on the best of the last three years and the number of years that you've been in the pension and contributing to it. Right. Whereas the new scheme and the scheme for GP partners is based on a career averaged earnings basis. So okay. however much your pensionable pay is for each year that you've worked is brought up to date in terms of inflation, all added together. And then that pot is multiplied by a percentage, which is 1.4% in the 1995 scheme and that's what your pension is based on. Right and so what could could you tell us a little bit about what some of the benefits are um, from you know being a part of the NHS pensions? Yeah um, in, obviously you, you're going to receive a, a, a nice pension at the end of the day so when you come to retirement you'll, you'll get that um, but there, there are also other benefits uh, associated with being a member of the uh, of the pension scheme such as death in service um, and um, the potential for dependents to receive some money um, out of your pension should the worst happen. So yeah. uh, there are a number of benefits associated with being in the scheme. And so with the definite, just like the one you just mentioned, death in service benefits, um, I, I, my understanding is that that's kind of like they're entitled to a lump sum, uh, you know, for example, uh, if they died in service, they're, they're entitled to a lump sum, which is quite continuous. Um, and that's primarily for partners and salary GPs. Um, would this be the same for locums? What are some of the, uh, the, the differences depending on what type of GP you are? Um, yeah, so um, the, the overall position is very much the same within the NHS pension scheme. So the benefits are, are all the same and it's dependent upon um, what your position is in terms of how much pension you've built up over the, your career. Um, I think th the differences really are in terms of um, uh, the, the forms that you have to fill in to show the pensionable pay that you've earned. 
um, okay. and, and, and then how that works and then the information that you get once PCSE have processed that information is, is vital really to you in understanding where you sit with your pension and then being able to use that information to work out whether you'll have enough in retirement for your needs um, okay. and also what implications there might be in terms of taxes further down the line. Um, I think if we, if we sort of go back to, to, to the very basics, what we need to do is to make sure that initially we're set up correctly. Mm -hmm. So when a GP starts at a practice, whether that's a salaried GP or as a new partner, you need to make sure that there's um, some communication between yourself, the practice manager, and potentially bring in the accountant at that point as well. Yeah. You need to set, set that person up as a new starter. That person would need to go onto the PCSE performance list and make sure that their status was set correctly, either as a salaried GP or as a partner. Um, and then the practice manager, along with the accountant, would need to provide a form to PCSE mm -hmm. called an estimate of pensionable pay, which provides the details of that person, their name, national insurance number, pension scheme number, and the rate of pay that they'll receive. That should then trigger PCSE to deduct contributions through the year based on that estimate of what the pensionable position will be for the year. Okay, so this is all part of the process and the management of it, really. I mean, um, and, and, and which we'll probably get into in a moment. What I did want to touch on is something with regards to taxation and we're looking at things like the annual allowance and lifetime allowance and this is often where it can get a bit tricky um, because practitioners could stand to lose money if, they, if they're not very familiar um, with what they need to be keeping tabs of so tabs on sorry so I don't know if you could explain a little bit about that. Yeah yeah absolutely um, I mean this has been one of the, the biggest problems over the last few years for for doctors um, and indeed higher paid individuals within um, the, the public sector. Mm -hmm. um, effectively, what the government have tried to do is to restrict the tax relief that's available for the highest earners. Um, and in doing so, they've come up with some complicated calculations for the NHS scheme. Yeah, there are two main taxes which you mentioned there. There's the lifetime allowance charge and the annual allowance charge. So the lifetime allowance charge is a tax charge if your pension, when you come to draw it, exceeds the set maximum. Now, at the moment, that set maximum is £1,073,100, and that's set to be the same as that until April 2026. Now, what the lifetime allowance charge does is if your pension is above that level, you would be taxed on the excess above that level okay. um, and then the pension agency pay that charge across to HMRC for you but then they deduct it from your pension over a number of years as you're drawing it down. Okay. So the issue really for that one is how do you know whether you've reached the lifetime allowance or not, not um, yeah. right. and this is part of the problem for, for GPs because it is so complicated. Um, what you need to do is to be able to access your total reward statement, okay. the TRS as it's known. And how do you um, access that from? So if you if you just Google 
total reward statement that mm -hmm. will take you directly to it and then all you need is a government gateway access and your NHS details and that will take you in. Um, that statement will give you um, a projection of what your pension is at the current time or on the date that the pension that that statement was last updated. Okay. On the basis that you then will draw that pension at state at your normal retirement age, but without making any further contributions. So it doesn't give you a projection forward, but it gives you the position that you're in at the moment. Okay. From That's that, mm -hmm. you can you can potentially work out roughly where you sit in terms of the lifetime allowance, because um, that is based from the NHS side of things on in the 95 scheme, 20 times your pension plus the lump sum. Okay. So if you do that quick calculation and you're above that £1,073,000 limit, you've potentially got a charge coming. Okay. What's the frequency, I guess, um, of checking this? What preemptive yeah. work should a GP do to ensure that, you know, they don't find themselves in a bad situation at the final hour, you know, when it comes to their pension? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's important, as we said, to, to set it up correctly to start with then make sure that you're completing the annual processes that are required. So that is either the type one certificate um, for GP partners or the type two certificate for salaried GPs. For locums, you're continuing to complete your locum A and B forms. And then you need to, as I say, to check that total reward statement all the time. So check it at least annually. Um, make sure that it is being updated. What we found in, in several cases is that uh, those are many years in arrears because there's some issue with PCSE processing the certificates. Mm -hmm. So we need to get to the bottom of that and make sure that they're as up to date as they possibly can be. Mm -hmm. Also, um, what you need is a, as a career history so that you can check that every year that you've been in NHS employment, it's shown up on the statements and it's with the NHS pensions and it's at the right level. Because again, what we found is that there are occasions where um, periods of time are missing, maybe really in the early days where there's a rotation for six months that might have gone astray somewhere. The sooner that you can find that and then try to put it right in terms of getting the information across to NHS pensions, the better. Because obviously when you're coming up to retirement, you know, 20, 30 years time, if you then find a, a missing section, it's going to be quite difficult to go back to the employer from that period of time and ask for that information yeah. so keep an eye on it all the time and they might yes you're right and i think you had mentioned um before that they might not be certain the agencies wouldn't be certain of the the info um so if you don't have access to it and they can't get it then really you're in a bit of a situation there absolutely yeah. um pcse have become um slightly better in recent times in terms of the communication that they provide so that if something is not there not on their records they used to just say it's missing sorry we can't process it now they are actually saying what the piece of missing information is okay. so when you work with your accountant the accountant will have the information to hand so it's really just a case of making sure that there's that communication between you your accountant and pcse to make sure that the certificates all, all match and that therefore it gets processed through onto NHS pensions correctly. Yeah, I mean, 
so I mean Nick there's like like I said there's a lot of work involved really um it, it's for the best but I mean we we are aware that general practice is overwhelmed you know particularly when it comes to workload um and just the fact that there there is a workforce crisis so staying on track with pension may not be at the fore when it, when their primary focus is their patients um which brings me to my next question who needs to really assume this primary responsibility of keeping tabs i mean does the management depend solely on the gp or is there some onus on uh, for instance practice managers and finance to to keep track yeah, I, I think there is a, a degree of joint responsibility here. Um, the, the the GPs themselves will have the ultimate responsibility because it is their pension. So they do need to keep an eye on it and, and make sure that the information is being updated correctly um, and, and is all present and correct. But in order to do that, they will probably need the help of the practice manager and the accountant just in terms of making sure that the contributions are going in correctly, they're going into the right part of the scheme and that the certificates are being processed correctly and the reconciliation between what PCSE have taken in the year and the final pensionable pay on the certificate. So those shortfalls or surpluses are being corrected in, in good time. And if right. all of that happens, then PCSE will process everything correctly. They'll then pass that information to NHS pensions and they will update the total reward statement so that pension record will be as up to date as it can be. Right. And so what you're saying is that they really need to be set up in practice from the start and then they need to have that kind of consistent monitoring um, annually to make sure that by the time they're ready to go into retirement, um, that's sorted. I mean, what happens if they move practice? Uh, yes, yeah, so if you if you move practice, then you would need to do the um, the lever forms at the old practice and then the new starter forms at the new practice. And again, just make sure that the performers list is is correctly updated with your status um, and then make sure that the new well, the old practices will their responsibility will be to stop the contributions being taken the new practice, their responsibility will be to set up the new contribution so that um, there's no break in the chain. There wouldn't be overall because, as I say, you do your annual certificate and that reconciles everything correctly for the year. But there yeah. can obviously be cash flow implications for practices that might have deductions being taken when somebody's left or conversely, where somebody's just joined and the contributions haven't been taken. Yeah. but they will be taken at some point so there will be a catch-up a large, potentially a large catch-up to making one one lump sum okay what what are the deadlines to submitting statements uh what time of the year does this need to be done yeah so the certificates themselves have a deadline of the 28th of february following the end of the tax year so okay. if we're looking at the 21 22 year the pension certificates for that year have to be submitted by the 28th of February coming up in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, PCSE are then supposed to process those and make any corrections in the following month. So on the March statements at practice level, you should see the, uh, the amounts being taken or paid back. Now, quite mm -hmm. often that doesn't happen timely enough, and so it will drag on into, into, into a future period. Um, the key there is just to make sure that if you're expecting to pay a large um, amount of shortfall, you'll only get tax relief 
in the tax year that that contribution is paid. Yeah. So so if PCSE is slow or, uh, and don't take it until the following year, you'll have to wait another year to get the tax relief on on that payment. So okay. there is a potential to make a um, an in-year contribution via BACS. So again, it's just about having calculations, knowing the position and then having a discussion about whether you want to um, pay the the shortfall in the current year and get the tax relief for it or if you're happy to defer it until PCSE process it later. I know that um, some, some, some practitioners might be trying to figure out whether they want to have their private pension or they want to, you know, um, stick with NHS um, pensions. And I know you mentioned a five year window. Um, it, could, could you talk a little bit about that in, in terms of if they're trying to figure out what it is that they want to do, what is that kind of five year? Um, I think it's a five year opt out um, of the NHS pension scheme. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, when we were we were talking back really about the the different tax charges that that can occur with the pension scheme, we talked about the lifetime allowance, but yeah. um, the, the more critical one really in recent times has been the annual allowance charge. Yeah. Um, and that that is where um, you're allowed to pay contributions into a private scheme up to £40,000 a year um, without suffering a tax charge. Um, within the NHS scheme, it's not based on the contributions that you pay in, unfortunately, so you have no control over that. It's based on the growth in your pension and that okay. growth is calculated from your pension position at the start of the year compared to the pension position at the end of the year. Um, mm -hmm. and whatever that value is, it's multiplied by a factor that HMRC have set of um, 16 plus the lump sum. So if that calculation takes you above £40,000, you've potentially got a tax charge for that year. Right. So NHS, that is yeah. yeah, so NHS pensions sh should send you what they call a pension savings statement if when they calculate the position, they've calculated it that you are over that £40,000 limit. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's one way that you can find out that that's that's happened. Um, but for higher earning pre um, GPs, there is um, a further reduction to that 40,000 allowance, which is tapered. If your earnings are above 200,000 pounds and with the growth in your pension that goes above 240,000, you can be tapered down. And the taper is at the rate of one pound for every two pounds above the 240,000 limit. Okay. Um, and it can go down as low as 4,000 pounds. So potentially there are very, very large tax um, tax charges that can accrue from that annual allowance position. What, one of the, um, one of the uh, options for protecting against that is that they allow a three year carry forward of any unused um, allowance from the previous three years. So you can um, offset some spikes that may happen because your your pay shot up in one particular year, but it's not usually at that level. So that's to help to iron out the position. But lots of people have used up all of their, their allowance in the last few years. Um, and this really sort of triggered a lot of that workforce issue. Um, people looking to either retire early or come out of the scheme for a period of time and so contributions not going in. Um, mm. So in, in 1920, um, the government, uh, what, one of the things that you can do if you do have a tax charge, you've either yeah. got to put it on your tax return for that year and pay the tax in the, in the January 
um, or you can ask the pension scheme to pay the tax on your behalf. Um, okay. If you do that, it's called a scheme pays election. You have to make an election um, mm -hmm. and that asks the pension scheme to pay that tax for you. Effectively, it's a loan that they're making to you. Um, okay. So they pay the tax, but they what they do is then they'll deduct the amount that you need to pay them back from your pension when you come to draw it down. Um, okay. So you could do that, uh, if that you could almost do that every every year um, and then when you're drawing it out they'll just take that amount um, at the time you're taking it out is that correct? Yeah that, that's right and yeah. um, obviously what you need to do is to to work out what that means in terms of your final pension um, okay. because it is going to have an impact on you it's going to reduce what you get in retirement so you need to be sure that that's the right thing for you um, you know if you need to build up a higher pension pot then it's potentially not the best thing to do but conversely, if you haven't got the cash now, it may be the only thing to do. Um, although there are um, some possibilities for, for there are some options to try to avoid the charge. Um, such things as uh, reducing your earnings so that you come down to a lower figure and then the calculations are obviously lower. But again, that's going to give you a lower pension, yeah. but without hopefully with a lower tax charge. Um, you can defer. So that means that you basically come out of the pension scheme for a period of time. So again, it will reduce any impact of taxation, but it's going to reduce your pension at the end of the day as well. Um, mm. And also you need to be aware that when you come out of the scheme, if you defer from the scheme, it can take away those other benefits that we were talking about earlier, such as the death in service and so on. So you do need to, to take advice around doing something like that. Okay. Um, so mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. No, I was going to say, so would you advise, I think, getting into general practice to begin with that uh, practitioners do solicit some financial advice um, speak with an accountant and kind of ha have that understanding to begin with before they, they opt in for their pension? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, it's absolutely vital. As we said, it's probably the most complicated pension scheme you could imagine. And so um, it's very difficult for um, a very busy doctor to completely understand all the ins and outs of, of this and what it means to them individually. So you definitely need to speak to specialist accountant and a specialist financial advisor so that, you know, the accountants can work out the, the tax positions, do some of the projections forward for you. Um, but then you need to speak to a financial advisor to understand what those calculations mean to you individually what potentially the options might be and what the implications of those options are as well. Um, there's so many little bits um, to consider and it's certainly got in my head spinning at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, we could we could um, extend this this talk probably for, uh, for, for half a day, if not a full day, because it <laughs> is there are so many ins and outs to it. No, I agree. And I think the primary thing is that if done right, it saves practitioners from a lot of stress um, when they they should really be reaping the fruits of, of their, their work, um, so to speak. But Nick, it's it's really been a pleasure to have you here. Um, before we, we do leave, I just wanted to get a quick summary uh, of the main things that practitioners and their practice managers need to bear in mind when it comes to pensions. So a top five list of things um, that they should be thinking about and working on annually uh, from, from being a trainee GP all the way to retirement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think 
um, it's very important to get the initial setup correct. So um, liaise with the practice, with the accountant, with PCSE, make sure everything is set up correctly in the first instance. Um, yeah. Then make sure that you complete the annual processes on time. So that's the certificates that you need to to um, to prepare and submit. Um, then really important to check the records and check your position. So obtain the total reward statement, see what that gives you in terms of a pension position. You can then work out alongside um, your accountant what that means in terms of any uh, tax implications and also um, pension for the future. Um, and then um, you need to keep doing that on a regular basis. So whilst it may only seem important when you're coming up to retirement, it's vital that you really do keep an eye, half an eye on it at least as you're going through your career. Yes. Um, and then finally, just to make sure that you do get that specialist help with the calculations, the options and the implications. Excellent. That's that's perfect. Thank you, Nick. And and before we close, how can GPs um, and PMs get in touch with you if they need some guidance and further guidance in this area? Yeah, uh, obviously happy to to answer any questions that anybody may have. You can email me at uh, my email address or or phone uh, the office or mobile number. That's um, right. So it's um I, I believe it's Nick Stevenson at moreandsmallly.co.uk um, if I'm correct and of course you can get him on 0115 972-1050 that's actually the office number um, so yeah there's there's many ways that you can re reach Nick if you need support uh, with your pensions he'll also be joining us on Monday 20th February for our practice weekly briefing um, and it's all about pensions so it's a Q&A about pensions so after you've listen to this episode should you have any questions um want to kind of delve deeper into into some of the things we've spoken about today um you can join us at our practice weekly briefing on the 20th where he's going to be there with us in february so nick we'll be seeing you there hopefully and also at our annual conference on the 23rd of february yeah that's great absolutely look forward to seeing you then Zaneda. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, lovely listeners. It's always a pleasure coming your way. Be sure to like, follow and share our podcast, the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast that we do purposely for you. Um, available on major streaming platforms, of course, including Spotify, Google and Apple podcasts. But until then, it's goodbye for now. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast for subsequent episodes with me, Zenaida Morrison at podbean.com. Bye for now.